Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is Hi-Fi. Hello, Joseph. TJ, welcome to a new week. Yes. Let me tell you about my woes in uh, Apple's Apple Watch cellular service. Hmm. The plot continues. Yes, it, it it continues. I don't know if it's a plot, and it certainly isn't good. Um, so I uh, fixed the issue. I can't remember if I talked about this on the show, but I fixed the issue by restarting my watch, and suddenly my Apple Watch was getting cellular data again. And it's to be clear, it's cellular data. It shows bars or dots or whatever they are on the Apple Watch, but it shows it has service, and it'll receive phone calls. Even I got a phone call once while I had no data. But it will get no data. And so this is extremely frustrating because um, I don't know that it's doing it when I leave for my run or bike ride because um, I'm at the house where there's Wi-Fi. And then I'll discover it after I've already started a workout and I can't restart the watch while I'm in the middle of a workout. So it's extremely frustrating. Um, So restarting restarting the watch fixed it. And I went on a run the next day because I restarted the watch that evening and I, that seemed to fix it. And I went on a run the next day. It was fine. Then the next day I went on a run and it did the, did the thing again. <laughs> so this is a continuing problem. And I've narrowed it down because restarting the watch does fix it. And because all the other devices that are connected to my T-Mobile account have cellular data, it does appear to be a watch issue, whether it's hardware or software. Seems to be software. It seems like maybe – the software is not switching its internal use data from this source over to the cellular data, and a reboot fixes it. I don't know. It's really frustrating. That is confusing. Do you think that there's a obvious answer just looming around the corner, or what are you going to do? That's Apple kind of could, a frustrating Apple could one. fix its software, up, send out a software update, and make it work properly. I find it. I find a lot of little things about the Apple Watch like this to be frustrating. Um, it is mostly a better watch than my Android Wear or whatever they call the Android version of the watch that I had previously. Um, Google Wear, I don't Wear OS, something like that. It's it's a better watch in, in almost every way. But these little things, I like these sorts of things. I act these little bugs. I actually didn't experience with my Android watch. And so <laughs> like, I, uh, I didn't have cellular on my Android watch, but like there's other things like, um, and I know that developers have laid this at the feet of Apple where, you know, they basically tell the Apple watch, I want to download this thing. I'm thinking particularly of my podcast app. So they hand it off to the Apple watch and say, please download this for me. And Apple watch does nothing. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, not good. I yeah. want that podcast downloaded right now so I can go on the run. So, so like Apple needs some sort of method in, in the watch OS, even if it's going to take more battery to say, I want this 50 megabyte file, which will take seconds to download. If you just do it on the Wi-Fi, on my Wi-Fi, it'll just, it's pretty instant. Just do it. Just, it, I don't care if it's a, a battery hog, it'll be done in a second. I want control of that. So little things like that, just all over the watch OS. Apple has a lot of growing up to do. And particularly, particularly this data thing, like that is just the. I'm, I'm I'm happy to live with some of these other bugs, but this bug, like I bought this watch as a cellular watch, and I pay for cellular service. I want cellular service. So I was wondering, since you're using presumably the podcast app called Pocket Casts, I am. Have you thought about trying another podcast app just to see what happened, and maybe that would be a way around the issue? 
I have. It wouldn't fix the data issue because that's that applies to the watch across the board. Okay. That's something different from the podcast app. So my weather app will go – or the built-in Apple's native weather app uh, will go blank um, after I go – when I start going on my run and I get away from Wi-Fi. And it's exhibiting the other symptoms, including saying it doesn't have a cellular connection hmm. when you go into the cellular settings. Everything they have to do with internet is out. That is so really th- frustrating. Yeah. So that's yeah. watch-wide. What are you going to do then? The download issue, maybe, but I know that Marco has complained about the same things, uh, and he writes a watch app for um, Overcast. And um, I've thought about trying Overcast because I know he recently rewrote the entire watch app with Apple's most up-to-date APIs, but I'm fairly confident from what he said that it'll be about like the Pocket Cast experience. Anyway, it's frustrating, but I think uh, <clears throat> what I did today just before I went on my run is um, I made sure my watch had downloaded the podcasts I wanted to listen to, and then I rebooted the watch. And this is like this whole ceremony that I don't want to go through, but I rebooted the watch, yeah. and then I went on my run, and it had service throughout the, the run. So that was great. Oh, so Apple. I haven't mentioned it here because it's something I just skirt around. But I do use the FitBot app for working out. And what I hoped and dreamed I could do was that I could leave my phone uh, in the other room and then use FitBod just on my watch. But I don't have cellular data, so okay, I need to take my phone with me. I understand that. But their watch app and their phone app do synchronize all the time. So if I start a workout, which I can technically do from the watch, it will sync with the FitBot app even if I don't have it out of my pocket. So what I would like to be able to do is look down at my wrist and using the FitBot app, I could do the entire workout. I can tell it when I've completed a set of an exercise and when I've completed all of them. I can even rate how difficult that exercise was. But if I had to go on experience, this is also very unreliable. But what it does is... It just gets hung on various places in the app. So I may say that I've completed the set and it does not present a timer to give me a break for 20 seconds before I do my next set. Or I get through all the sets and I say I'm done with this thing, but then it doesn't record in the FitBot app on my phone that I have done that exercise at all. But then if I am on the phone for even a minute, you know, and I use it there and I tell it, yes, I have done this exercise. Then I go back to the watch. It doesn't reflect that even the ex- the workout has started in the first place. So <laughs> I don't even bother to use it on the watch anymore because I just got tired of this stuff. For reasons like this, I didn't have nearly that many problems, but I had little issues with the RunKeeper app um, on the watch. And so for reasons similar to that, um, not quite as bad, but similar, I, um, I have switched to using all of Apple's stuff for tracking my stuff. So I just go to Apple's workout app on the on the watch and say I'm going to start an outdoor run or I'm going to start an outdoor cycle or I'm going to start an indoor run or or, or whatever. And that's what I've I and it's it's great because it's you know as much as I resisted it, I and part of the reason I resisted it was I wanted to keep my data separate from Apple. You know I wanted to be like in case I ever want to, but it's pretty clear to me now like despite my issues that. I got to pick a lane and I've picked to stay back in the Apple lane. And so, you know, if I ever do want to switch, I'll have to deal with that. But I'm kind of just locking all my data in with Apple now. Hmm. Interesting. And I understand where you're coming from. I, I don't think that's a bad idea. 
I may wind up there inevitably. <laughs> I really like the FitBot app, though. So it, it presents just so much on the phone alone that if I didn't have the watch around, I would get all of the value out of the app there. So, for example, you can use the watch in theory. If it worked flawlessly, then you could do the entire workout from the watch. But with the phone, you can say, I mean, honestly, TJ, I, I don't know every exercise known to man that I could possibly do. <laughs> and they throw out, like, do this or top them hat. And I, I, don't, I, I <laughs> exactly. don't know what that is. And I have to look it up. But if you go to the bottom of that exercise in your workout for the day, it presents a video that loops and you can see it in full screen. So you know exactly what they want you to do. And I can figure it out. But you can't do that on the watch. Yeah, I remember when I had the Android watch I, and I started doing some weightlifting and so I would track each – like I would tell it I'm getting ready to work out. you know. And a lot of times it would actually pick up what you were doing fairly well. Like it's like, oh, you're doing a curl or you're doing a uh, – um, what are some of the workouts? I don't know. <laughs> it's been a while because uh, I've switched to more cardio. But um, it would often pick it up. But when it wouldn't, I'd be like, well, OK, what is the name of that thing that I was just doing? And I, I, I would think I knew the name, but it was under a different name that is also a valid name for the workout out and so yeah stuff like that is frustrating hmm. i want to know how it goes for you because you are using the apple fitness apps in general and if you do have more experience in the future with any of the video workouts i'd like to know about that too do you have an apple tv uh yeah i do um, but i didn't know how much you use it because you don't talk about it very much uh I've, i mean i've talked about it on the show mm -hmm. um okay. i i don't use it a lot especially more and more i mean my kids use it more than i do now because i picture you more as like an amazon fire stick horse man you know you're, no you're I, I, I actually ha somewhere i have a stick from like 2013 or 14 or whatever that was never any good and i hated it and uh y you know um i have um i had for a while a roku and i that was so i had a roku between my uh, I had an Apple TV and what did I have? No, you know, oh, you know what it was is I had a Mac back when, remember Front Row? Yeah. So I had a Mac using Front Row and it was a Mac that had been retired from active service. And so I put it into service as a Front Row device and that was fine. But then uh, that Mac started not working very well and newer versions of the operating system didn't have Front Row. Thanks, Apple, for that. And so um, <laughs> I decided to go to Roku and then I got the Apple TV. So my, I do like the Apple TV a lot um, and it's a good device. I just more and more I'm finding I don't have a lot of use or need for it. My wife and I tend to watch TV on iPad on my iPad in my office these days. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, if we're going to watch a movie as a family, we will certainly use it. So. So you're watching it preferably on a smaller device. It, it doesn't bug you that you're using a much smaller screen than what you have in the living room? Well, no, because the screen is so much closer to you, it makes up the difference, you see. Um, because, you know, the viewing of a TV, by ne necessarily a TV has to be larger because you're much further away from it. But as you get closer, it, in fact, bigger is not necessarily good because it's out of your field of view. And so it's, yeah. it's essentially the same size in my field of view as if I were watching it on the TV. Um, although I will say that what I've been doing lately, last I would say two or three times that we have watched something in my office, I have this uh, – I've talked about in a previous episode, my floating display for work, um, and I will connect the iPad to that, and it's a 4K, you know, 24-inch uh, LG ultra-fine uh, ultra 4K, and it looks fantastic on that thing, especially in the semi-dark, you know, when I turn off most of the lights and it's got that nice contrast and it's just – it's already the color is already set correctly from the factory and it's good enough, you know, for me. 
um, yeah, I think it's it's great. So we, yeah, the TV and the Apple TV are becoming less and less important. I wouldn't want to be without the Apple TV, but you know. That reminds me of years ago. I think my first TV was a full screen, you know, those four by three aspect ratio, 27 inch TVs, but it was a big old tube TV that had a built in DVD player or something. And I liked it, but it was dying. It was a cheap TV that somebody had already used and I got it used when I was newlywed. So when we got it replaced, I got a 27 inch iMac and put that in the family room. And I would actually sit up in front of it to get some side hustle work done. <laughs> but then during the the evening, yeah, we used front row just like you are, but we yeah. would use our iMac 27 inch. I think it's disappointing that Apple discontinued front row. I think they should have continued to make like the front, basically the Apple evolve it into the Apple TV experience, but on the Mac, like, why wouldn't you? Uh, but you know, Apple sometimes it's Apple's ways are mysterious. Apple's interested in cancel culture. They canceled Front Row. They canceled the HomePod. <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. So do you want to talk about uh, my AirPods Pro, where I, I took them in for service? Yeah, you want to talk about your AirPods Pro? I'll talk about <laughs> mine too, but you, you start. <laughs> so um, I mentioned on the show, uh, and in fact, I mentioned on the show that I knew that they had a quality program, but I hadn't really checked it out. A friend of mine uh, listened to the episode and said, Hey, my AirPods have been, my AirPods Pro have been making these buzzing, rattling things. And I didn't know anything about a quality program. So he went and looked it up. I think he found it in the show notes and he went to Apple. And that same day, so it was the next day after we recorded, we released the episode in the morning. And that evening, he had new AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> because he went and checked out this quality program. And what they do, Apple will take and put them in this machine that does a quality check on them and uh, s- sees if, if they're if they're covered in the quality program. I don't know what it's doing exactly. But it, um, it, it, mine, his, his and mine both failed the quality check. He uh, He's closer to the Apple Store right up in Nashville. Um, and so he went to the Apple Store at Green Hills in Nashville, and um, they had the AirPods in stock, and they replaced them right there, and he was good to go. My Apple Store down here in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, in cool, this Cool Springs Galleria, um, they didn't have any in stock. So I'm still waiting for that call from Apple because they said, yes, it's covered. We got you taken care of. We'll send you an email, and we'll call you, and you can come get them. And so I'm still waiting, but he, so he also noted, as I noted, ever since I got my AirPods, even, I think there was always something wrong with them. I think they're just getting a lot worse. Um, I've never been able to get them to pass the seal test. You know, you can go into the settings and see if it's sealed correctly in your ear. I've never been able to get them to pass. Um, and I think a lot of these problems are just because they had a manufacturing defect. Um, and he says his new ones are much, much better. Like he didn't realize how bad they were. And I've always noticed too, people will say stuff. And I, I just always thought it was hyperbole. People will say stuff about the AirPods pro, like, Oh, transparency mode. It's just as if it sounds like you didn't even have in the ear. I'm like, Oh, come on. Uh, that's, that's hyperbole because it's all muffled. He says, no, his, he, he had the same experience, but his new AirPods, it really is as if there is nothing in your ears, like you're hearing it, the transparency. So I'm excited to get these proper AirPods Pro. Most impressive. Well, good for you. I got my right earbud replaced late last year because I saw that replacement program and I talked to Apple on the phone. Uh, At first, they were making suggestions like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And then they said, yeah, it sounds like you're going to have to get this one replaced because it was chirping. And it was just days after they... Okay, so mine started chirping. What do you mean by chirping? Well, okay, take it out of the case and you begin to stick it in your ear and you hear a little like squeak out Mm -hmm. of the sound 
a, a mechanism. So it's like, it's like it's creating a, a digital sound that was not prompted by anything I did. I've heard that from both of my AirPods at various times, never, never at the same time from both of them, but each of them will do it distinctly at different times when I'm putting them in. And usually it's because I'm reaching up to adjust the position of it in my ear or I'm squeezing it to turn it off or to change transparency, Mine those kinds of things. tends to be when I'm putting them in my ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I, I noticed even with my new pair, so you know, I still have my original left ear bud and I got the new right one and it's been doing really well. It has had no problems this way. But I do notice that like if you were to just pop them out of the case and hold the two in your hand and you're rolling them around, they can create like a feedback loop, kind of like a microphone and a speaker system do where it, it the microphone is picking up a sound coming out of a speaker. So it starts to go whoa, 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 really loud. And in the case, after I've taken them out of the case, and oh, I'm just holding the out. earbuds okay. loosely in my hand together. Okay. Interesting. I could actually hear an audible chirp, like really loud from my hand. I suspect that what's happening there, that may that may not be a defect as much as your hand is triggering the proximity sensor to think it's in the ear, so it turns and it's probably in transparency mode, so it turns on the mic and so it's creating a feedback. You know, when you get a yeah, if you take a yeah. mic close to a speaker, you know what happens. It's exactly. a feedback loop. So moving on to my AirPod Pros, I have had the AirPods Pro now for more than a year. I really liked the first that I got and I wore out that right earbud and then I get the replacement, still going strong. And I started to notice that I was having an allergic reaction to something in my ears or I was getting an ear infection back in January. And uh, TJ and I know about this. I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before. So I started trying to figure out, uh, are my AirPods Max just too tight or is this the AirPods Pro that are the problem? Because I, I was really uncomfortable with some symptoms arising with my ears. Mm-hmm. So I stopped using the AirPods Max for a while to see if that was going to make the symptoms go away, and it didn't. It doesn't sound very conducive to a high-fidelity lifestyle. No. <laughs> yeah, having problems with the ears is not good for this podcast. That's true, true. So then I went back to the AirPods Pro and did a little digging online. It turns out, TJ, that some people develop an allergic reaction to the silicone ear tips that you can pull off and replace. So I looked online. There's been some other people that already discovered this. It's a really nice thing to do if you just have comfort issues with earbuds going into the inner ear there. Uh, It's not highly recommended. Doctors will tell you and the packaging will warn you, do not put this inside your ear canal. But we all do it because we're trying to make a seal. But if you really had to do it and you care about comfort, you might want to replace that silicone tip with a memory foam tip. And I've been using them for a little bit over a week and they're very good. So they they feel like they wouldn't be much better, but they create a better seal and they fill my ear better than the silicone ever did. The silicone felt really comfortable, but like it was allowing for some sound to travel through. So if you were trying to use them in the water, maybe like taking a shower or something like that, you may even allow for some water to get past the AirPod Pro in your ear to get into the inner ear and give you swimmers ear. But with these memory foam tips, that's not going to happen. It is pretty tight and they come in different sizes. So you can find the one that's best for your size. But I find that I'm not having the allergic reaction to them just yet. 
So this is promising. Yeah, I upgraded my ear tips to a foam rubber. I actually put the link to the ones that I bought in the show notes and the um the midsize is exactly the right fit for my ear. Even with so um the AirPods Pro were definitely better for me about not falling out than the regular AirPods, which I also still have, but their batteries are completely shot. They'll last like 30 minutes now, um, so I need to throw them away or take them in for recycling or whatever you do with them. But um, the AirPods Pro, I was excited about for the fact that I thought they would stay in my ears better, and they did, but they still slowly over time with the original tips would would sort of seep out of the – sort of creep out of the ears and eventually fall out hmm. uh, over time. It would take you know like an hour, and if I was heavily active, maybe 30 minutes and I have to push up, reach up and push them in as I could feel them like moving out. And I didn't like the feeling of it, even, even if it wasn't about to fall out, just that you could feel that they were slowly moving out of place. So the foam rubber tips, I actually got them to, um, to, to try to, well, (laughs) to hopefully hold them in my ear better and, and provide more comfort because foam rubber and, you know, the, the sort of expand and sort of stay in place. It's sort of like, you know, your foam rubber, um, earplugs, right? Where you squeeze them, you, you roll them up and squeeze them and put them in your ear and then they expand and then they don't go anywhere. These work mostly like that. And I don't have any trouble with them staying in my ears now and they're much more comfortable and they seal better. So, um, very, very happy with mine. Yep. It looks like yours is very comparable to mine. Not the same product, but both on Amazon. Okay. Yours is much more affordable. Yeah, I'll put links to both of those in the official show notes that go out with the episode. So you want to tell me what you think of Justin Long's Intel ads? Hello, hello I am an Intel. Uh, I, I, I think they're pretty bad, honestly. It's um, – boy, I, I don't know how to describe what it is I'm feeling about these other than that they um, – not they're not great. I I do think there is one of the ads that has a valid criticism, um, but overall I think the ads are mostly just cringe. And I don't even understand like is Justin Long hurting for money that he would do this because I don't know. It just sort of it, it just sort of screams desperate on Intel's part and weird on Justin Long's part. The and especially like the one that criticizes Apple's uh, the M1's lack of. Um, multiple displays you can only have one extra external display on your m1 mac we know that these are the lowest of the low end m1s apple's ever going to release there's no question in my mind that the next mac the higher end macbook pros that apple releases with m1s are going to be able to power multiple displays so this is a temporary thing um I, i they're just so cringy the only one that has some validity I think, is the tablet-laptop hybrid, which I've wanted Apple to tackle for a long time. I, I do think it's silly that Apple's laptops in, in 2021 still are, are – are, they don't – because a lot of laptops, you know, you can push that all the way over so that you can actually set it on the base and use it as a touchscreen tablet or do it all the way over and make it a big, fat tablet. That, they're actually a great form factor. That, I think that's a fairly valid one, but it's still a cringy ad. Like, it's just – it's awful. Did you watch any of these? Yeah, I thought at first it would be fun even if we didn't consider the merits of Apple products versus PC products. But then the longer I thought about what it was presenting, it was annoying that the angle is that as a generalist, maybe you're a person who doesn't have any particular strong feelings about brand of computer or special unique needs but you're just a generalist that already it needs a computer but doesn't have any brand loyalty and you have no idea how all this stuff works. 
So just out of the box, can the PC do everything that comes to mind? And if you think of it that way, then hypothetically speaking, it's not a very good commercial because how many people are generalists that are getting the MacBook but also want to plug it into an external display? I know it's a, uh, I know it's common. <laughs> I know that professionals do this, but I don't know that it is the thing that your average person does because your average person might be a, well, there is no average people, you know, but the commercials advertising like, Hey, you're just Joe Schmo. You know, you're just your average Joe. Hi, I'm your average Joe. Are you an average Joe, Joe? I will be for an ad on by Intel if they pay me enough. <laughs> and if you go from there, then hypothetically, the Mac isn't any worse than what the uh, Intel inside PCs have to offer me. So well, I don't see how their angle is even all that compelling. Uh, yeah, most of them I would say so. Again, I think there's a couple of valid criticisms there. And one is a temporary valid criticism that is like, come on. <laughs> yeah. But um, what, they, what they don't address and where Apple is making the killing, and, and this is where form factor becomes a lot less important, and even where multiple displays becomes less important because they the M1 uh, laptops in particular – are much better laptops than Intel laptops precisely because of the things that Intel doesn't highlight, which is better battery life, low power consumption, running much, much, much cooler. And so they they trounce Intel when they're doing translated Intel code, even they trounce Intel. Like there's plenty now, there's some things that just won't run, but they're pretty most for the most part, most Intel compiled Mac applications will run without anybody knowing any different on an M1 Mac. And they do it all cooler with better battery life. It's the M1 is amazing and Intel's not addressing that. And Intel is is instead in tack in attack mode when they should be like okay, we need to be building something that will give real competition to this chip. I, I still think that what we're going to see is a slow um, death of Intel, uh, or probably more likely they will um, they will go downhill and then be acquired uh, for, for some reason or another, whether it's for talent or for manufacturing processes or mm. – um, or factories or what have you. But I, I, I think that, that this is just another sign, another a signpost on the road to um, ignominy. I don't think that they are going to like their legacy either because this is something that Intel is going to be remembered for in their final years. Like if, there's, if their glory years are all past now, this might be the way that you begin their final chapter in a book about the company by highlighting this series of commercials and how catawampus they were. The, the, the representation of the MacBook was even doctored up by some motion graphics to yeah. make it look different than it actually is, but it's mm. obviously the Mac. So it was weird because they didn't even do a good job in their After Effects. Yeah, it reminds me a lot, actually, of Steve Ballmer walking, you know, basically saying in an interview, Apple's not just going to walk in here and take it. They, you know, we've been at mobile a long time. And, and you know, that story turned out pretty well because Steve Ballmer was let go and they hired, um, uh, what's his, what's the current CEO of Microsoft? I, I like him a lot, uh, Satya Nadella. And, um, my, you know, my, Microsoft made a comeback in a completely different way, and that could happen with Intel, but I don't see how they would pivot. Where Microsoft had plenty of ways to pivot, I don't see what pivot Intel can make. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But but basically, 
Intel had one job. They've been failing, and Apple was the first to abandon ship, and I, I think that they were just the first. I think that others will probably go to AMD, still others, and maybe AMD even will lead the charge in um, in seeing about this whole ARM world in the desktop space. So I think this is just a signpost on the way that says Intel has completely lost their way. Sad news is, is that we still have Intel inside of our Macs, and now it feels kind of gross. <laughs> I just don't appreciate them trying to burn bridges and disenfranchise all of the Apple community. So they're digging their heels in and by supposedly reinforcing your customer base, you're also getting on the bad side of a lot of your customer base, which are all the pre-existing Apple users. Yeah, but at this point, I, I get your point, but what do they have to lose? Like from, from from the devil's advocate side, what do they have to lose? Because Apple customers are not Intel customers. Most Apple customers probably don't even know that they had Intel inside because Apple has never put Intel inside stickers. Like they, I, I think the deals even with Intel require other PC manufacturers to put Intel inside, and Apple's like, um, no. <laughs> and so because Apple is – Apple's customers buy Apple products, not Intel products. And so for most customers, some of us, of course, knew the differences, and some of us even relied on the differences. We were excited when Apple went to Intel because that meant our software – us developers our software situation was going to get better being able to do all these things was going to be able to get better and so some of us knew it but for the most part apple's customers neither knew nor cared that intel was inside their apple laptops what they cared about was mac os and a well-built laptop or a well-built thing from apple that that they knew apple was putting together for them and they didn't need to worry about it that's yeah. that's the customer so i think from intel's perspective you can definitely see how they don't care that they're making apple customers angry because apple customers don't care about intel and so what intel's trying to do is for those who might care and who who are upset by the move to m1 or who you know or maybe for other pc users to give them uh just to feel more confident that they're using intel i think that's the angle they're going for and i think they're completely failing I I think it's a it's an ill-advised attempt but i think you can see where they're coming from so do you think that they're going to sell people on the new generation of intel computers they're just going to make computers from end to end in part it almost feels like that was the message i know obviously that cannot be the message because the intel does not do that it is make processors well uh, in order to sell people on a new generation of intel processors there needs to be a new generation of intel processors oh burn yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's been the problem, right? As an in, Intel just can't get ahead anymore. They can't do it anymore. It, their their manufacturing prowess, their fab, you know, process, all of that seems to be held up. They can't shrink their fabs. They can't do what they used to do. They they're not innovating anymore. That's why Apple left them, and that's why I think their days are numbered. Is because, you know, they were largely at the forefront of. Um, uh, what is that law of? Is I don't. I want to say Moore's law, but that doesn't sound right. Moore's law. Let me make sure that's that's right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It is Moore's law. Uh, what was I thinking of? Anyway, so they were kind of at leading the forefront and and one of the re, you know of, of Moore's law back in the day, uh, which is basically. Um, it's the observation that the number of transistors in a dense integrated circuit doubles about every two years. And Intel was at the forefront of that for a long time. They're not there anymore. And I know that it's going to get harder and harder for Moore's Law to keep up as we continue this miniaturization and and transistors become smaller and smaller. The returns and the yields and all that are going to – so I get that. But Intel is now way behind the pack. 
Oh, too bad. Well, the good news is, is that we don't have to worry about them. They're going to be in our dust. We're going to be using the M chips now. Yeah, I'm excited. I unfortunately, um, you know, all my work software and stuff is just not quite ready, you know, and even if it is, it's just, you know, there, when I uh, got my new job, they sent me a laptop and it is an Intel MacBook Pro. Um, and it, you know, it's because it's what they had in stock. So it'll be a few years before this M, M transition, this ARM transition on the Mac really takes hold for me, I, I reckon. But yeah, we'll see. Well, goodbye, Speak- Intel. And thanks for all the fish. <laughs> sure. So, uh, speaking of Intel, Intel actually came up with and pioneered, along with others, the Thunderbolt standards, and they apparently have an understanding or have, you know, Apple has the license to release Thunderbolts on non-Intel chips because they did so with the MacBook Pro, and now we have a rumor here that says that Thunderbolt is coming to the iPad as early as April, um, and so what, what do you, you know, do you think that this is, uh, I guess I'll just speak for myself and then find out what you think. I, I think this is a good move if it is happening. Um, I have lamented the fact that the iPad seems to be held back by a number of factors from, from, from moving up into big boy status. And it's why we continue to use the Mac. And I don't see that changing any time, anytime soon, but this is a step in the right direction. It opens up a bigger world of peripherals for the iPad potentially. Although what's held the iPad back often is the software and not the hardware. Yeah, it would still be that and the limitation of the number of ports. So you may be supporting Thunderbolt, but... The thing with Thunderbolt, though, is... And I know you can do this with USB, but it's it's a more limited bandwidth, at least the version of USB that's on the iPad. Uh, USB 4 actually is the Thunderbolt 3 standard. But but in in any event, with Thunderbolt and USB uh, 4, etc., you have much higher bandwidths going through that port, and so you can attach you know, um, uh, uh, docks that have many ports that can all go through the one port, that's going to become less of an issue. And when you're, when you're attaching multiple things to the iPad, you're probably at a desk or dock somewhere anyway. It's, I get it. Like I, I do prefer more ports on my devices, but this is the world that we live in. Um, so I, I think it could be very beneficial. It is a curious thing though. Like you were saying a few minutes ago, it would be great if Apple made a hybrid laptop and tablet. This is the direction you have to go to get there for a professional device. And I don't think that the general purpose iPad or iPad Air needs to go this direction. Just the professional model. Uh, I could see a future where the professional version winds up getting to the point that it has the feature set that it is really close to being hybrid. I don't know if they could ever support something like Final Cut Pro or Logic Pro or maybe the creative coding apps that you rely on. But I know that they really want to push it in that direction. And there are some apps that support those workflows pretty well if you're not using uh, Adobe Premiere Pro or Final Cut Pro. You may be able to find another editing creative suite on an iPad Pro that has essentially got the feature set of a laptop eventually. Well, let's, do a, let's do a thought experiment mm-hmm. because the iPad Pro right in front of me right now is 12.9 inches, which is sitting next to, on my left, a 13-inch MacBook Pro uh, that I just received for my work um, that I'm doing work on. Why is it that you think that an iPad couldn't do some of these more advanced workflows like um, like Final Cut Pro, for instance? Or, you know, that's in the video realm. Why couldn't I open up a code editor and start writing code on the iPad? What's holding it back now 
is the software, not the screen size, not not anything about the inherent inherent to the hardware because we know that macOS will run and run pretty well on that hardware because Apple shipped the developer transition kit with the same hardware essentially that's in the iPad Pro and in terms of the processor and the graphics card. So I, I, I feel like what's holding the iPad and the iOS and the iPad OS platform back is Apple and their software game. And, you know, I know that they don't want to release iOS um, for, you know, on these tablet devices, or I'm sorry, um, they don't want to release Mac OS on these tablet devices. I, I, I get that. Um, and, and I also understand that they, you know, they're the same operating system with different user interfaces. I also get that from a technical standpoint. They are the same uh, operating system underpinnings. There's no reason why you can't run some of the stuff that I run on Mac OS on iPad OS, except that Apple doesn't allow it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just, I don't know what the future holds here. And I feel like Apple doesn't, I don't know if they have a, something in mind where they're going, but it feels a little bit like they're trying to figure out how to make the iPad pro without making the iPad pro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, I, they, they feel like they don't quite know what to do with themselves. It is tricky because the iPad as a whole has had a lot of very small improvements f- since the first generation. But in large part, it still does, like you were saying, everything that it basically did on the first gen, except better, just not a whole lot differently. I remember, I don't know, remember if we had iMovie on the first gen iPad, but we had it pretty close to the first gen if we didn't. And you could still edit home movies on there. Nowadays, you can actually have a lot more polish and you can get through some 4K footage. And I know that there are coding apps for the iPad, which I don't know a whole lot out kind of think of them as boutique professional apps nobody would use them as their daily driver i mean i don't think that for they sure. would do you okay N- no none of the none of the apps for writing code on the ipad that i've seen are daily driver apps and and a lot of that i mean sure they're basic text editors and you could write code in them and i do write code in basic text editors from time to time but what i need is you know you know things that are i use php storm for instance when i'm writing php because of the intelligence that php storm has about my code base and telling me what methods i can and can't call and if i did something incorrectly and like it's deb- helping me debug my code while i'm writing it which is a huge time saver none of that exists for the mac because it requires something called a language server which can't run on the ipad cuz apple says no um so all this stuff um is just not possible mm-hmm. on the ipad and i want it to be because what i really would like and i tried this with my um i had what was the microsoft tablet um i had one of those and i still have it actually um surface. i'd like to i'd like to sell it the surface yeah i had the surface uh right with the surface five it, it was just called the surface again because uh, they they're bad at naming things like apple but it was the surface five um surface six i think it was five anyway um surface five the sixth generation yeah that sounds right so it, it, it was frustrating. I, I actually did do some coding on it, but it was a little slow. The hardware was not nearly on par with the iPad. The thing is, this iPad, from a hardware perspective, can run circles around the Surface Pro. What I would really like is to be able to just take my iPad when I travel and be able to do stuff in an emergency situation. I kind of can because I have SSH and, and applications that will let me get into my servers on the, on the iPad. Um, but I can't go the, the whole way, and it's a little frustrating. Well, the good news is, is we still have Macs, so I'm not giving this up anytime soon. The, yeah. The, the the thing about the iPad Pro line is that it's starting to feel like if they cannot give it some real pro quality features, it almost feels like it's a hobby. Like the iPad Air is the sweet spot. 
that gives you all of the rich features and optimizes on what the iPad can do and doesn't mislead you down the rabbit trail of expecting the iPad to give you anything pro. Yeah, and that's the thing I think I'm feeling with the iPads. Uh, again, I'm excited that Thunderbolt is coming. That's what started this conversation. And yeah. I think that that can lead to good things. But right now, I have the iPad Pro because it was my favorite iPad, not because it's a pro iPad. Yep. There's nothing that the iPad Pro does for me th- other than the form factor that I like that I couldn't have done with the iPad Air, you know, or or the or even a smaller iPad, the um what the original whatever they call it now. I that's Apple's bad at naming things. It's just a regular names. old iPad now. Yeah, so th- th- there's nothing pro about this iPad to my way of thinking, at least. Um, but it's fine; it suits me well, and I like it. I wouldn't. I, I'm glad I have it. I just wish that Apple would un- unlock some of it, uh, some of its potential, a little bit more. Okay. One way I did find to unleash potential of my pro iPad, TJ, was to get it a- an accessory or two. Hmm. So I picked up this past week a product by 12 South. They make really compelling, well-polished Apple-esque accessories for mostly Apple products. And I've enjoyed their stands for the iPhone. I've enjoyed their cases for iPads and iPhones in the past. I think that they have a, a very unique style to them that feels like, imagine if Apple had a cool younger brother you know, who lives in San Francisco and he's younger and hip and he can get things made more (laughs) agilely. That's what 12 South feels like. So they have this new stand. I know that a lot of people were talking about this new stand that includes ports on it that resembles the Mac Pro screens stand, the, what is it? The XDR's display stand. And I I found that interesting, but it was overkill. What I was thinking about our consumer slash prosumer level of needs was that the hover bar is a stand with a great base that's weighty and uh, works well on flat surfaces. But if you don't have a flat surface, you could also detach the arm of this stand and connect it to a clamp that you can then, you know, clamp onto something like the underside of a kitchen cabinet. And then you can have posable parts. So you've got a neck, you've got an elbow joint, and then you've got the joint down at the foot of the base of the stand. The Hoverbar Duo, misleading name, it may make you think that it can actually hold two devices. It Maybe it's the second generation of the Hoverbar. Hmm. I never saw the first gen, but the Hoverbar Duo is very good, very solid, well-constructed, came in a cheap box, but who cares? And it can hold the iPad really well. It would work with a regular iPad, the iPad Air or the iPad Pro. I'm willing to bet you it also worked for the large iPad Pro, but I don't have one to test it with. And the reason I say that is because I know that the bigger one is bulkier and a little heavier. So I don't know how it would influence the stability of this stand. But with the 11-inch iPad Pro... It's very adjustable. You could use this at the desk. You can use this standing up. You could use this when sharing something you want to watch with your wife, TJ, on the iPad. You know, you can put this... We actually, my wife and I, here's real world use cases. I have it sitting right here on my desk right now is the stand that I can plug my iPad into so that I can use it for sidecar. So... I can put my Finder window into the iPad Pro, the Apple Music app, a few apps where it's not mission critical to have a full screen, huge 27-inch you know, screen to show these apps. 
And it's great because you can do some drag and dropping between the iPad Pro's Finder window and whatever else you had in the browser on the bigger screen. So I don't need it here all the time. And my wife is a seamstress, so she is also a homemaker. So when she's in the kitchen, she likes to watch shows while she's doing some cooking and also reference her uh, recipes using Mm -hmm. the Paprika app. Mm -hmm. So she can use this. It's portable. She can say, hey, Joe, can I use this? I would be happy to let her use it that day. And then in the evening, we can also use it. Oh, she's also a seamstress. So she also uses it over by her sewing machine. While she just likes to have a show on while she's sewing the children's clothes for the boutique company. So then when she's done with that in the evening, we can also use it to watch something in bed. So it's sturdy enough that we can stand it between us and uh, still cuddle. <laughs> and <laughs> it's right up there in our faces. So it's kind of like you were saying where having a smaller display, but having it a lot closer is a bigger, full, immersive experience. Yeah. And the iPad Pro has, I, I, what it, would you say it's stereo sound? It's not surround sound, but it's really it's, robust sound for it what it is. It certainly is stereo sound, but, but it's very robust. And I think it's doing things to make it feel more full and, and around mm-hmm. than just, it's, it's very, very good sound. Yeah. And it's we, not quite, I would say it's not quite as good as my sound bar and my surround sound and my, uh, stu- in my entertainment center upstairs, but it's good. It's much more than good enough for me. Yeah. So I can see that working for a long time in the future. Uh, I feel good about this product. It's very well made. And I think I may even get a second one so I can dedicate it to my desk or my office when I have to go back to the office and let this one be my wife's. You know, it looks interesting. I don't think it's a product for me. Um, I have the... um uh, what are those stands? Um, they, they're very common, uh, the, the rain stands, uh, you know, for the MacBook pro. And, um, what I do when I'm working, uh, outside on the porch and I have my, you know, outside table set up with my laptop and my display. And I want a third display is I have two rain stands, uh, just around for over the years, I've gotten two of them. My laptop goes in one and my iPad pro with the keyboard cover, uh, you know, my, my professional, uh, what do they call the the magic keyboard cover, mm-hmm. um, that goes in there and it works pretty well. I wish it were a little higher, but it, it's fine. Um, so, uh, you know, if I were to get one of these, I could see maybe using it in that s- situation, but for the most part, I don't think this is a product for me. I might give it a try sometime. What, what's the price on it? It's $80. Uh, mm. and if your wife doesn't use the iPad, I understand why you wouldn't necessarily get enough use out of this sort of thing. Yeah. Because if, if the times a day I'm likely to be using it are during, you know, my nine to five. And then my wife may also want to borrow it during that window of time. So it's not a big deal to me if she wants to borrow it for an afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then we can both share it in the evening. And I didn't already have a rain stand, but I have had one of those before. And I would agree that if you already had something, then you don't need to buy this one to replace your rain stand. But if you didn't have one to begin with, then this would be a pretty nice way to improve all the possibilities. Like, I have this iPad Pro, TJ, but I'm usually using it for the start of my day by sitting on the couch and doing some reading, doing some calendaring, scheduling, to-do lists and things like that. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as I start to get tasks done, I go to the Mac and then I don't see my iPad Pro all day long. And I don't need to see it, but what I mean is is it can't really get the work done as efficiently. So as a sidecar sort of thing, it's uh, nice to have a second display again. 
Yeah, and I as, I as I think I mentioned, I think it was the last episode. I switched to using Yam Display, which I like better than Sidecar. But in any event, um, mm-hmm. yeah, there, that's an, that is a way that you can make it a little bit more professional use out of the iPad. Although it doesn't matter whether it's an iPad Pro or not, it'll do Sidecar or Yam Display. Um, but yeah, I, one, you know, one thing, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I was looking when, when you uh, mentioned 12 South, I'm like, oh, I don't think I've, I think I've heard of them, but I don't think I've checked out their website before. I wonder if they have what I'm looking for. One thing I desperately want for the iPad is something that the Surface Pro had for me, which is a built-in kickstand. And I still miss the heck out of that thing because you can basically – it's a little swivel hinge with a thing that just kicks out and it, it sits – You know, I, I, have you seen the kickstand on the Surface Pro before? Mm, I don't think Pro so. Surface Pro kickstand. Like it's built in. So being built in would be ideal. Um, let me see if I can find an image for you so you can understand what it is. Okay, here it is. Um, I will send this to you in our chat. Um See if I can find a better photo of it because it's not the best photo of it, but you get the idea. And that thing is built in to the oh, Surface yeah. Pro. Okay. And so you can kind of just kick that thing out and set it down anywhere. And you can't do that with the iPad. Now, the uh, Magic Keyboard case does solve a lot of those needs, but it's a little clunky for what it what I need. Um, it tends to tip a little bit more than the Surface Pro's uh, kickstand did. And it sticks out and juts out in the front, and sometimes that's not desirable. Sometimes I wish this iPad just had a kickstand. Kick so what I've been looking for is something, a plate basically with that kickstand that will magnetically attack. Because the iPad Pro has magnets, so I want one that will magnetically magnet onto the back of my iPad and then give me that same kickstand that I had on the Service Pro. I haven't been able to find it, and I can't believe nobody makes this. It's really frustrating. Huh. So anyway, that's a sidetrack, but just seeing that 12 South makes a lot of iPad stuff, I'm like, huh, I wonder if they make, nope, they don't, I can't find it. <laughs> that's really frustrating. Why doesn't somebody make this? It seems like it'd be a no-brainer. Yeah, sometimes tech is tough. It's very yeah. hard to find what you want. But I don't understand, like, this is such a great opportunity for Apple to build it in. I don't understand, like, I, I guess maybe most people don't use the iPad the way I do, I guess. But for me, like, being able to set it down and kick that kickstand out and just have it sitting right there is so great. It's so great. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe also I had the 12.9, so it's a little bit unwieldy to hold by itself. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Well, the 12.9, how are you liking that beast? I, I, I do agree with people like David Sparks who calls it a lunch tray, but I know he also has one and he likes it very much. <laughs> I love it. I, I, yeah. can't, I actually can't imagine having one smaller. But do you ever use it like handheld in one hand while you're reading the screen and you're touching it across with the other? I do. I tend to turn it, um, uh, you know, so what's the landscape? What's that's vertical. I tend to turn it vertical to do that because it's easier to hold that way. There's yeah. less like, there's less like leverage pulling at your fingers. So what, what tends to happen is I'll have it here at my desk. I'll be reading something and then I want to read it to my wife and she's off somewhere else in the house. And so I'll pick it up and take it and I'll be reading it, you know, and ranting about whatever it is that I'm ranting about. And why are these people so dumb? And they wrote this editorial, blah, blah, whatever. And I'll be reading it to her. Uh, and I, uh, that's how I often use it like that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I didn't know how comfortable it would be for day in and day out use like that, but if it does work that way for you, that's excellent. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm holding it now. Yeah. It's actually really comfortable to hold vertically, horizontally. If you're holding it in one hand, it can be, it's fine, but I, my, I think my hand will get tired because I'm constantly fighting the, the gravity of it. So I'm holding it in my left hand and I'm constantly fighting the gravity of it tilting to the right, you know, because it's, it's much longer that way. But when you're holding it just vertically, 
yeah, it's fine. I don't have any issue with that at all. I prefer the 11 inch as well to be vertical in hand like a book than if I, but if I do have it on the magic keyboard case stand, that is really nice to have it in the horizontal for the rest of the time, yes. whether using YouTube or writing applications and to do apps in the schedule. It's great. No, I, I think Apple made a mistake by considering this a vertical device. I think for, for 95% of my use, um, it is horizontal in the keyboard, magic keyboard case. And it's so funny when there's an update or when I have to reboot it or, or, or when I pull it off and, and I'm holding it in a horizontal way and the Apple logo just if, it, like, hor- I think vertical is the exception, not the norm. And it's just so funny that Apple basically, the way they put their logos on it and stuff, it's considered a vertical oriented device. And it's very funny to me. Well, and speaking of which, if you do like that about uh, your iPad and you were looking for a good stand that allows it to be in horizontal landscape and the vertical portrait layout, then the Hoverbar Duo is good for that. It turns pretty well in either direction. Yes, but the one thing that it can't fix um, and that I wish that Apple would fix about the iPad is the camera. The 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 self the front facing camera needs to be on the top when it's vertical when it's horizontal. That's where the camera needs to be. <laughs> It's it's weird. Yeah, but it's not. that makes a lot of sense. I haven't done a whole lot of you. So you're thinking about like FaceTiming or what would be the reason? FaceTime mostly. Yeah, um, but I haven't but also done a whole like, lot of that with my iPad because when I am holding it in the hand and it's not vertical, it's always the camera is on the left, and I usually hold it with my left hand. And it, it and Face ID goes, "Hey, you're covering the camera. I can't see you." You know, and it's it's a little frustrating. Well, TJ, I just realized how we can bring this full circle. Okay. Can you use your me. iPad Pro on your wrist as a watch? Does it have data? What? I'm confused. <laughs> so anyway, that, I think that's the show. <laughs> if you want to find show notes for this episode, they are at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 26. You'll find the links to all the things that we talked about in there. I'll link up uh, you know, the, uh, the foam tips for the AirPods Pro. Um, there's that rumor on the Thunderbolt coming to the iPad and there will be the link to the 12 South hover bar duo and the link to my rain stands will be in there if you want to check those out. So those are at again, once again, nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 26. I hope you'll tune in next time until then catch you later. This is TJ breaking in from the edit bay. Um, about halfway through or a little more than halfway through this post show, my audio track starts being recorded with some digital like fuzz or noise. And it happened all at once. Uh, Joe didn't hear it from his side on the uh, call on Zencaster, and I didn't hear it in my monitoring. So it was something that only happened between the mic and the computer where the computer laid down the track with static and there didn't seem to be a way around it. I checked my backup recording and it was in that one as well. So, uh, but we left it in the show or in the post show because you can still hear me even if it's a little annoying and, uh, I like the conversation. So I'm sorry about that, but I hope you enjoy it anyway. TJ, have you seen the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I have. This is really good. By the way, have you seen Superman and hmm. Lois? I have also seen Superman and Lois. They I'm haven't not met sure the Falcon I'm... and the Winter Soldier. Let me, let me check if I'm current. Um, I'm not current. I didn't see this past Sunday's. Okay, I if, if one came out Sunday, I didn't see it then either. Whoops, I'm trying to unlock my iPad and my microphone is right in front of me, so I can't, there we go. Um, so let me check the CW app and I'm waiting for it to load because CW app is awful. 
and Superman and Lois. Watched, 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 watched. Oh, I have watched episodes one through four, uh, and that's all that's available. So I am current. Well, my one thing that I want to say about a CW show is that Superman is my favorite DC superhero. I like the good ones, like the Green Arrow, the Flash. Yeah, Batman's good too, but he's kind of like dark chocolate, and we've had too much dark chocolate lately. (laughs) But uh, I I feel like one thing that's kind of lacking, and I I think that they'll get there, hopefully, is that the uh, show doesn't really seem to give me the kind of connection to Clark Kent that I'd hoped for that I got with Oliver Queen and with Barry Allen pretty quickly. Like I felt like I was really empathizing with them very early on. I think some of that may be inherent in the character of Superman because Superman is good. Superman cannot be bad. He doesn't – okay, he can and it was awful when he did like Man of Steel. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. And so in general, when Superman is done right, he's – less of an empathetic character because he doesn't have a lot of flaws and so the the conflict tends to be external and so there's less opportunity for you to empathize with him and what he's going through and the way they're fixing or the way they're approaching that in superman and lois on the cw show is that they are giving him external drama and so you can empathize with him in what he's going through right so you those of us who have children who are getting into their teen years i think can appreciate some of what he's going through with his teenage sons the angst and the the um am i doing this right and am i connecting with them and then and you know the grunts oh okay fine you know and we can identify with that so they're giving him this external drama this external conflict and what i like about this iteration of superman and lois what i was afraid they would do is give them marital conflict and so far they haven't and i like that because what they're doing instead is they're showing this is a very mature relationship they're both the fi- the fire as happens with the relationships the fire burns at a different intensity than it did when they were dating and when they were you know first married But it's still there, and they still have this great, comfortable relationship, and maybe they don't always see eye to eye, but they, like adults, unlike most CW shows, they work through it, and I love (laughs) that about this. Um, It's so good, and and we do see, though, that Superman isn't perfect, and he makes mistakes. Those mistakes tend to be him trying to do well, though, you know, and so I overall, I think it's a good and compelling show, and I think it's a good way to approach Superman. I agree. One thing that is also lost on the show is that now that Superman is still way too overpowered, it doesn't have the challenge for the character that it had with the Smallville TV show. Hmm. For one, he didn't know about all of his power, and he also didn't know how much of it, how extensive it was, and he also didn't understand how to use all of that power. So in the end, he had... Uh, Superman powers with one hand tied behind his back and his cape tucked in. So it was very (laughs) difficult to get his job done, which was good for Clark because you got to actually appreciate what would it be like to feel or think that you were supposed to be average, but you actually are developing superpowers. And so I think that that is an advantage for the show for the teenage sons. If they do develop power that we can experience that alongside of them and that'll be a lot of fun but when it comes to their dear old dad he's god for all purposes and that's overload 
this is a very mature Superman who knows all of his powers and know, is very in touch with himself, and he's not learning how to be Superman. And in fact, a, a curious thing I find about this show is in the Flash and Supergirl and all these, and mostly Supergirl, they established that Superman and Lois went off to Argo City, which is the last remaining city of Krypton, to have their children. Um, I don't remember if we found out they were twins or not at that time, but they they were going to have a child, as, as best I remember. This was this is on a current CW show, but here the children are teenagers, uh, 14, 15. Did they say their ages? I think they're 15 maybe. Um, and so clearly at least 15 years have passed since that. So this is not concurrent with currently running CW shows. In fact, this is in the future of those shows. And I, I find that a curious choice. But then the other thing is like – Morgan Edge appeared on Supergirl, and he was a very different character played by a very different person. So, is this even connected to the other CW shows? I'm I'm a little I'm a little I'm finding confusing, that a little odd yeah. and confusing and weird. Um, so I don't know what's going on there, but I do enjoy the show on its own. It, it's very clear that the show has a higher budget than the other Arrowverse shows have had. Again, if this if this is in the Arrowverse, but regardless, it has. Huh. A, it, yeah, I think it, you're right. It clearly has a higher budget than the other Arrowverse shows. It looks better. Um, the pacing is better. The story, the writing is better. Um, the acting is top notch, which th- I, I guess that's not a complaint I have with the Arrowverse shows. Most of the acting in those shows is fine too. Um, but just in general, it feels like higher production values. W- one thing that I'm afraid of with this show is the business with uh, Lois's dad feels a little bit tropey. He's the big military guy coming in to do military things and get out of my way. And, you know, family be, you know, family be darned. You know, I, I just I find that I'm a little worried about where that's going. I also feel like on that note that those problems would have already arisen with Superman's career if he was entangled with Clark and at the beginning of the show, he already knows who Superman is. They have a working relationship together. So why is it that just now they're having problems? It's a curious thing. Which actually may be cause for less concern because maybe some external influence has come in more recently that wasn't always present. Maybe he's under duress or maybe he's not actually Lois's dad. Oh, not that. Okay. (laughs) We'll see uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier though. I think that this show is so polished, so well delivered. What do you think? So I think it looks like a million bucks. Whatever I said about Superman and Lois's budget, this is 20 times that. (laughs) It is, it is, it it looks spectacular. Better even, I think, than, than WandaVision somehow, which I thought also looked good. Um, Somehow this conveys really high production values. However, um, I'm glad that WandaVision went first because it established something different. This feels more like a general MCU thing, and, and that's fine, and I've enjoyed that, and I'll enjoy this. But it makes me a little sad that they didn't take the opportunity to yet again do something a little different. This almost, feels yeah, that's a good way of putting of, it. More of the same. It feels like we, maybe what you're saying is that Falcon and Winter Soldier is the epilogue of the. MCU to date and WandaVision is the prologue to the MCU of the future. 100%. I couldn't have said it better. In fact, I wouldn't have known how to say that. That is absolutely and, – and I don't know if you knew this. They were supposed to do Falcon and Winter Soldier. That was supposed to go first. Huh. Um, and then, but, but because of COVID and various things, they wound up having to do WandaVision – release WandaVision first. And I'm glad it went first because of the precedent it sets. But Falcon and Winter Soldier does very much feel like it belongs in the MC universe 
of your of of what we what what the continuing saga that we left with Avengers Endgame. And then whereas WandaVision feels like the start of something new. Like it, it it's really something sure it has some of that MCU-ness in it, but it really set a different tone. And it really said, we're going now in a very different place. So you can see why they wanted to do it the other way. And I think from a storytelling perspective, that may have made sense. And I say that having only obviously the only the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier is out. Um, so we'll see where they wind up going. But this does feel more run-of-the-mill, more MCU-ish, and that'll be fine. I'll enjoy it. I I just wish maybe it weren't quite as MCU-ish. Now, what some of the things that I did enjoy, so the fight, fight, fight stuff in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, eh, take it or leave it. But but the stuff with Bucky, I really like so he's sitting there yeah, with the with a psychiatrist, and I loved everything they were doing there where he's basically lying his face off. Oh no, no, I, yeah, of course <laughs> I didn't I didn't break any rules. And you then you cut to him breaking the rules, right? It, the way that entire scene unfolded was much more interesting. Uh, it's not that I didn't enjoy seeing Sam beat some people up. But but I found the Bucky stuff much more interesting, and I found the Sam stuff more interesting when he was dealing with stuff going on back at home. I I guess I'm at a place in my life where I want less fight, 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 less action, 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 and more character, more character drama, more tell me what's going on with this person inside their head. Tell me what their struggles are. And that's where you get what you get with Bucky in the psychiatrist chair and what you get with Sam when he's trying to save his boathouse. Yeah, that's true too. If you had to contrast these characters, Sam is trying to follow in Steve Rogers shadow without becoming Captain America. So he's trying to follow in his footsteps, but he doesn't want the world to depend on him or assume that he's worthy of the name. Then you've got Bucky winter soldier who has this God awful legacy and he's (laughs) trying to lose all of it, get out of it, have a normal life, but he has no real reason to even do so. And Mm so it's hilarious to see him bumble his way through a date. And he jokes about how old he is and about, you know, his parents. It's sad that he's completely removed from all of the people of his former life. And you kind of forget about that because now that Steve is an old man and moved on in his life in dramatic take ways. Up to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Bucky, he doesn't have a a, a, a girl Friday. He doesn't have a you know a, a love interest. He doesn't have children. He doesn't have parents to go back to. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of curious. I do hope that they're going to give us more than just action, and that it's going to be more than just um, a buddy film of these two heroes. That they actually give us an idea of what Bucky has to look forward to in the future. Because I think as much as we all romantically wanted, uh, you know, Steve Rogers to wind up with Agent Carter, it makes sense. It's fun. It is true to old Americana. For Bucky, we just want him to have a real arc, and his arc has not happened yet. 
Well, he's been a side character until now, and and so I am excited that this show will give him basically a primary spot because he's been a sympathetic character, but not one that we've spent a lot of time with. And and now in this show, hopefully, we're going to get to spend a lot more time with him. And Sebastian Stan, fantastic job with the humor, with all, but also with the you know the flashbacks and seeing the pain. And you know he's basically he's doing battleship with his girlfriend, and and she basically reminds him of stuff, and he's got to go take care of it. But then he gets there and he can't quite face it because of what he sees and the guy apartment with the guy's son and all this stuff and it's it's really compelling it really is we're very well done for an episode one did you notice the episode one of the winter soldier was as long as the final episode of one division i did notice it was longer it yeah. still has long credits but it's definitely up toward the 40 minute range rather than the 20 minute you know that we got with the first episodes of one division i did appreciate that actually let me double check that you you vamp a bit while i look up the episode Okay. Um, yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, I'm vamping, and I don't know what I'm vamping about because I was really out of stuff to say. <laughs> so we, we might cut this from the, from the show. Let me see. I'm trying to find an episode list in a running time. He, they have an episode list, but they don't include the running time. Good job, well, here, Let me go to DisneyPlus.com, and let me... Why am I seeing black? Oh, there we go. Uh, okay. Marvel. No, the air date. Falcon and Winter Soldier. There's a preview. New World Order. Is there really nothing that tells okay, me? Okay, it is. The episode is 49 minutes and 33 seconds. Now, the credits start at around the 20 four, minute almost, mark. almost 43 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it was one minute longer than the first episode of the winter soldier and the Falcon Falcon now, and winter soldier. Do, do we have to say that every time? Do, no. Can we just say the Falcon soldier? I don't know. We, <laughs> I don't need, know. we need to sandwich their names together like one division y'all. So a couple of questions. Uh-huh. One, what, what do you make of, or do you have comic knowledge of this, uh, this imposter of Captain America? I know, I know a little bit because I have, watched a few a good number of nerdy explainer videos on youtube in the last few years Mm -hmm. they didn't have anything to do with the context of this show so just just talking from comic book lore and the canon those rabbit trails that maybe they have already abandoned and maybe some rabbit trails that are still underway involving other captain americas it has been explained that there have been I want to say at least two other imposters after Steve Rogers. And in both cases, like one of them was a hothead. The other one was just trying to look good, but neither of them were very successful in the part. They didn't have the integrity or they didn't have the power. Okay. And second question, do we think that uh, Sam will put on the suit um, and take up the shield by the end of this this season? You know, I don't want him to. I really like the Hmm. Falcon suit and they've been working on it gradually over the series of movies. This is the first time that his suit has a paint job that is... Oh, it's like an entirely new suit, I think. Okay. Well, entirely new suit. It does appear to have a lot to it that the pre-existing ones didn't. I didn't know if it was just paint job or more than skin deep but, but what if he what if he still had the falcon wings but also had like a, a captain america logo on his suit and, and and carried the shield like what what would that be like i think it'd be good for him maybe he doesn't need to do it all the time i don't know that he needs to be carrying a while around the weighty shield while flying 
But I can understand if he was doing ground ops versus. You is know, the shield fight. weighty though? Because one of the things about vibranium is it's it's tough and and durable, but also light. Well, you're not wrong. But yeah. if you drop it, it, it's a one way trip down, and I don't <laughs> think true. that his uh, his little drone can pick it up for him and carry it back. <laughs> Maybe he can if it's really light. What did he call that drone? Um, he, he kept calling it something. I don't know. I'm blinking too. He's yeah. referred to it by name in the movie yeah. before and Scarlet, which Falcon's was referring drone. to it like an it. And <laughs> Falcon didn't like that and said Red Wing. Red Wing is yeah. it's called Red Wing. <laughs> okay. Good guy. I, I've yeah. been enjoying his character a lot and his family and it, just the overall production quality. It does feel like like you said, it feels like it came out of the cinematic universe more so than WandaVision did. And it feels like, the, I don't know, like they really were trying to invoke the spirit of the Captain America movies. So I, I enjoyed that. It was great that even if we didn't have Cap, we still had his spirit lingering on. 